energy. The guy told me I was no spring chicken anymore, and that's why my ankle was still hurting. I'm 33, not 133. The passion. The Red Sox handling of Xander Bogarts is a complete organizational failure. The opinions on all your favorite teams. No, not this year, but it's next year where Bill Belichick ends up on the hot seat. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. The new intro is coming tomorrow, everybody, I promise you. New show intro tomorrow. Write it down. What's up? It's the Brady Farkas Show here on this post-Super Bowl Monday on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Hope everybody has recovered from all your food and all your drinks and all the fun that was your Super Bowl party. It was a great game. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about it today, of course. We're up until 645, so an hour and 15 minutes today. Then it's high school hoops between Thetford and Hazen with our own Brent Curtis on the call. It is a guestless show today. We had so many guests last week for our Radio Row at Home series. We're back at it today with just us. So a lot of Super Bowl for the next 75 minutes. The offseason ahead. We'll talk about some of the big storylines to watch there. And we'll get our thoughts on UVM hoops as they rolled past UMass Lowell on both the men and the women's side this past weekend. You can get in with no guests. It's your chance to get on in even more than usual. 802-585-3026. It's the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury in Morrisville. Watch us on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and on my Twitter account as well. That's at WDEV Radio Brady. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. Here we are again. It's almost too predictable at this point. If there's a big NFL game on the weekend, the next day we're going to come in and we're going to talk about the officials. That's essentially where we're at now with pro football in this country. If there is a big game, the next day we're going to come in here and not talk about all that went right in the game and all the great things that we saw. We're going to talk about the officials and the calls made or the calls not made and whether or not the league has an agenda. Let me just tell you this as I usually tell you. The referees did not decide the Super Bowl. The referees did not decide the game. They did not blow the game for Philly. They didn't steal the game for Philly. They didn't give it to Mahomes. The referees did not decide the game. And look, I I don't really want to have to do this again. But every time there's a big game, I feel like I have to go a 12-round fight with people on social media and people on the text line. And here we are. Once again, you know what side I land on. I land on the same side of this debate every single time. I'm not the one yelling about the officials. The general public is yelling about the officials. So now I have a duty to push back. 
I have to have this conversation. It's not the conversation I want to have today, but it's the conversation we need to have. Y'all want a 12-round fight about the officials. We will have a 12-round fight about the officials. The holding penalty on James Bradbury is part of the game story. It absolutely is, but it did not decide the game. In fact, as I always say, I'm going to get this tattooed on my forehead. One call never decides a game. One call never decides a game. Remember that. You are not going to change my mind on this. One call can impact a game. One call can have an effect on a game. But one call does not decide a game. That's number one. And number two, as usual, the league is not rigged. The league does not have an agenda. And the league does not look to give Patrick Mahomes victories to help cement his legacy. That's not the way this thing works. Okay? One call doesn't decide a game. And the league isn't fixed for Mahomes. If the league was fixed for Mahomes, he would have won in the last two years when he didn't, when instead he was beaten at home by Joe Burrow and an upstart Bengals team that nobody cared about. And the year before that, when he was beaten in the Super Bowl. So the league is not fixed for Patrick Mahomes. But let's start with number one, because that's the one I'm much more hot on as usual. You don't like the call on James Bradbury. Little less than two minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Third down, it's 35-35. Holding penalty called on the Eagles DB, number 24. You don't like that call. It was a penalty. James Bradbury grabbed Juju Smith-Schuster's jersey not once, but twice. He grabbed Juju as he went inside. He grabbed Juju as he went back outside. That is a penalty. That's it. That's a penalty. Oh, but Brady, you can't call that play in the Super Bowl. That's all I saw on social media. Even Greg Olson on the broadcast. I really don't want to see him make that call here, here, Kevin. This is let the players decide the game. It's too big a moment for that call. Why? Why? If it's a penalty, it's a penalty. We ask for consistency in officiating all the time, right? I see that penalty called every single week. If it's a penalty in week one, it's a penalty in week four. And if it's a penalty in week four, it's a penalty in week eight. And if it's in week eight, it's in week 15. And if it's in week 15, it's in the Super Bowl. Just because it's the Super Bowl, the ref does not have an obligation to swallow the whistle. The ref does not have an obligation to to not make calls that are clearly calls. That was a penalty. If it's a penalty in week one, it's a penalty in the Super Bowl. And if it's a penalty in the first quarter, it's a penalty with two minutes to go in the game. That is how this works. Everybody's saying, I don't want to see him. I don't want to see that call made in that situation. But you're okay with it with 13 minutes left in the second quarter? A penalty is a penalty no matter what time of the game it is and no matter what point of the season it is. I hate when people say that. Penalties are penalties, okay? When that call gets made in week one, it impacts somebody's season two. When that call gets made in week five, it impacts someone's season. It impacted the season for the Eagles as well, but it's been doing that all season long. It was a foul then. It is a foul now. That was a hold. 
and it might have been a hold on two separate occasions within the play. Bradbury himself said it was a hold. So the guy who committed the flag and had the flag thrown against him said after the game, I committed the hold. That should get all of you off the referee's back, but apparently it doesn't. So Bradbury says it's a hold. I say it's a hold. And Shannon Sharp, a Pro Football Hall of Famer, he says it's a hold. Yes, it was a flag. James Bradbury admitted as much that he held him. It, it's, it's really that simple. They don't throw penalties and say, you know what, we can throw penalties in the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, early in the fourth quarter, but if it's late in the ball game, we're not going to throw a penalty because it might impact the ball game. James Bradbury the fourth impacted the ball game. He got out of position, he knew he was beat, and he held Juju in order for getting to his route. He ran an option route, he released inside on the shallow, he you know, dropped his hip, was going to option back out, and he tugged him with his right hand. It's a penalty. So Shannon Sharp agrees with me. James Bradbury agrees with me. Mark in Essex on the on the text line agrees with me. Milo agrees with me. Joe agrees with me. A lot of people agree with me, but all I saw on social media last night was the refs always decide the game. Here's the whistle ruining the Super Bowl. The refs are terrible. The game was decided by that call. No, it wasn't. It never is. That's if you take nothing from me as a radio host ever right if you if you take nothing from me but one thing take this the refs one call does not ever decide a game that football game went on for more than three hours yesterday you were telling me that two and a half seconds that play and that call decided the whole thing and the other three hours were irrelevant I refuse to believe that and I am not buying it but smart people on the text line get it. Shannon Sharp gets it. Bradbury gets it. I get it. Heck, even Nick Sirianni, the head coach of the Eagles, gets it, and nobody else seems to. You know, that's what he saw, and he, and he called it. And so that's never – I, I know it always appears to be that – you know, it's one call that makes the it's not it's not what it is, right? It's not what it is. There's there's, there's so many plays that contribute to the the end result of the game, and in, and today they were better than we were. Thank you, Coach. Classy, the high road, and the truth. One call. It appears like it's one call. It never is. Let's run through the list here, okay? The officials did not allow the Chiefs to score on every possession of the second half. The Chiefs scored on every possession of the second half. That's not the officials' fault. That's not the officials losing you the game. That is your defense not being able to stop Patrick Mahomes. Okay, The officials didn't do that. The officials also didn't allow Kadarius Toney to have a 65-yard punt return that set up Kansas City at the five-yard line. So now your defense and your special teams have let you down. That's not the officials' fault. The officials also didn't cause Jalen Hurts to fumble in open space and get it returned for a touchdown there to give Kansas City seven. The officials didn't do that. The officials didn't fumble the football. The officials didn't didn't allow the Chiefs to waltz up and down the field. 
The, chief, the, the officials didn't allow Kadarius Toney to return a punt down to the five-yard line. The officials didn't kick a bad punt that allowed that to happen also. And you know what? The officials also didn't have the most sacks in the NFL this season and not be able to get to a gimpy Patrick Mahomes once. The Eagles had the most sacks in the NFL this year by a pretty good margin, did not sack Mahomes once. That is a you problem. It is not an official's problem. And I am tired every week of reading that the officials cost teams games because they don't. One call, rather, I should say, does not cost you a game. Sure, you could have 10 calls that go against you, and then maybe we can have a talk about the officials. But one call doesn't ever do it. Right? May I get so passionate about this, maybe because it's just the way I live my life. I try to not be a finger-pointing person. I try to not be a blame person. I generally believe that I am my own problem. Right? When something bad happens to me, I tend to believe that I did it or I caused it. And whatever happened to me was a reaction of something that I did. I tend to believe that. And we should all look at our sports teams the same way because more often than not, they blew something long before and way more often than the officials did. Eagles don't can't get a pass rush. Eagles can't stop them in the second half. Eagles allow Tony to get the 65-yard touchdown or a 65-yard punt return. None of that is the officials. Jalen Hurts fumbled the football that Bolton returned for a touchdown. Not the officials. And also, there are those people out there that have the refs screwed the Eagles narrative. Do you remember the Miles Sanders fumble that wasn't? Miles Sanders catches a pass from Jalen Hurts, immediately gets hit, fumbles the football. The Chiefs take it and score another defensive touchdown. And the refs wiped it off the board. Right? The Chiefs had a touchdown. They were in the end zone. It was a fumbled pass. It was called a fumble. It was ruled a touchdown on the field. If the NFL was out to gift wrap this thing to Mahomes, and if the NFL was out to screw Philly like so many people seem to think, then the NFL would have let that stand, but instead they overturned it. And by the way, they got it right. That was not a catch. He never had possession. He didn't fumble. It shouldn't have been a touchdown. The refs got that call correct, but for those people that think the Eagles got screwed, they seem to forget the touchdown that was taken off the board for Kansas City. I just don't enjoy this. Texter says, what about the missed field goal in the first half? Yes, the Chiefs missed a field goal. I I don't know what that has to do with, with this argument. I don't know. Um... Joe says the Chiefs dominated the second half, hands down. Yeah, they did. And by the way, let's talk a little situational football just for a minute here. Let's talk a little situational awareness because the Eagles lacked that too yesterday. And this was a big deal. So there's the James Bradbury holding call, right? It's third and eight. There's a minute and 54 left or something. We've just had a timeout, I believe. We've definitely just had a two-minute warning. Here's the situation. Nick Sirianni and his staff have to know that the absolute worst thing that can happen to the Eagles is a first down by the Chiefs, right? The absolute worst thing that can happen 
is a first down because a first down allows the Chiefs to just basically run out the clock like they did. So it should have been a coaching point that, hey, if you are beat, do not commit the penalty. Let them score the touchdown at that point because the touchdown is a far better option than you committing a holding penalty or P.I., and them getting a first down that does not result in a touchdown. That was situational football that went unnoticed by the Eagles. The minute James Bradbury got beat, James Bradbury should have just let Juju Smith-Schuster go and try to sc- and, and say, look, I, it's better for you to score than it is for me to give you an automatic first down because the automatic first down essentially ends the game. The touchdown makes it 42-35, and we get the ball back. That would have been the smart play. That would have been the situational play. A penalty there that resulted in a first down was about the worst-case scenario. Right? It was the worst-case scenario. The referees didn't do any of that. The defense struggles in the second half. The special teams struggle in the second half. Hertz fumbles the football in the first half. And situationally, you are not great at the end. And oh, by the way, it actually was a flag. The refs didn't cost the Eagles the game. The Eagles cost the Eagles the game. The Chiefs took the game based on some of your miscues. It's not the official's fault. It rarely ever is. Again, if you show me a an umpire scorecard in baseball season in which it says that the umpire missed 10 strike three calls against the Red Sox and zero against the Yankees, then we can have the conversation that maybe the umpire cost the Red Sox that game. If you show me that the Red Sox had six plays at first base that were called out that were really safe and the Yankees had zero, then we can have a conversation. But if you're going to give me one call isolated over the course of three and a half hours, I'm never going to think that that one call decided the game. Never. I am not going to believe that. And I think I've just proven to you why that would be the case. The Eagles had their chances. They cost them. Just like Cincinnati had their chances in the AFC Championship. And they cost themselves. And that's the way this thing works. And for the fixes in crew, for the league, the league wants Mahomes to win crew. The league doesn't care. Okay, nine zillion people watched the Super Bowl yesterday. At that point, the league doesn't care who wins. They got you to the game. That's all that matters. If the league was fixed, the Cowboys would be playing yesterday. If the league was fixed, their biggest media markets, L.A., Boston, New York with the Jets, they all would have been in the playoffs, but instead what? We watched the Chargers did make the playoffs, but not the Rams. You know what I mean. Okay, We watch a playoffs where Jacksonville's in and Geno Smith is in and Miami with their third-string quarterback is in. If the league was fixed, we wouldn't be watching that. We'd be seeing the Rams, the Chargers, the Patriots, the Cowboys, the Texans. They'd all be in the, they'd all be Green Bay, they'd all be in the playoffs all the time. 
And if the league was fixed, the league would not have two of its best teams be in two of its smallest markets, Cincinnati and Buffalo. Do you think the league looks at this and says, hey, let's get Cincinnati and Buffalo to be our two, two of our best four teams in the league? That's great. And oh, by the way, Kansas City is not a huge media market either. That's like if Major League Baseball said, hey, let's fix the league. Let's have the Yankees and Red Sox and Dodgers all be bad, but let's throw the Rays and uh, Oakland and uh, and Cleveland. Let's make them all the best teams. Or Pittsburgh. It's it not going to happen. Not going to happen. Tex says there's far too many people that would have to be paid off to make the fix work. That's impossible. Uh, could a game be fixed? It can be fixed easier than you think it can, right? One referee is all it would take. We've seen that in the NBA. As far as players abiding by the fix, then that, yeah, that would take a complex network. But I just, I don't believe that the league has a script. I don't, I've never believed that. Tex says, I couldn't agree with you more, Brady. Uh, if anything, the league has so much parity. Yeah, the, the, yes. Uh, Will in Plattsburgh, I thought it was a good game. Give the Chiefs credit on confusing that Eagles defense. Yeah. You look at it, the two, I think the whip routes that score touchdowns, right? The Sky Moore pass and the Kadarius Tony pass. Those are brilliant play calls in the second half, right? To confuse the Eagles defense. The defensive adjustments that the that the Chiefs made in the second half. The ability to always get Travis Kelsey open. The the Chiefs did a lot of good things in that game. Now, I'll say this, Mahomes had some help. This is not only the Mahomes show. Right? He got help from defense and special teams. He got help from defense and special teams for sure. It was a team effort. I thought it was a great Super Bowl. I, I am not, you know this, it might be a shortcoming of mine as a host. I'm not in the rankings business, right? It's not my favorite thing to do. Power rankings, lists, et cetera. I don't, some people are like, oh, this is the best Super Bowl ever. Well, you know, I don't know. I haven't seen all the Super Bowls. Seahawks Patriots was pretty good. Malcolm Butler at the end, it didn't go my way as a fan, but that was a pretty good one. Rams Titans was pretty good in the 90, you know, 99 with uh, Kevin Dyson getting stopped at the one yard line. Patriots and Rams in 2001, the year of 2002, but the season of 2001. Been a lot of great Super Bowls. Okay? Bills, Giants with the Scott Norwood thing. So there have been a lot of great Super Bowls. That one to me was very good, though. Mary in Randolph, I appreciate hearing your perspective, and I agree. I have to say I'm not surprised Kansas City won. I'm not surprised Kansas City won either. I picked Kansas City, and that doesn't make me some great prognosticator. That's not what this is about, but... I had a I I had I just could not pick against Mahomes. I just couldn't do it. On paper, the Eagles were the better team. They re- they run the ball better. They have a big play wide receiver. They have an excellent tight end. They have a mobile quarterback. They had defense that could get after you. They led the league in sacks. On paper, and they were healthier. All 22 starters from opening day were playing and available in that game for the Eagles. The Eagles were the better team on paper, and they were the Vegas betting favorite. I could not bring myself to bet against Mahomes, and that was why. He overcomes a double-digit deficit. Again, he had help. This is not just Mahomes put the team all on his back. 
He put the team on some of his back, but he got carried a bit too. That's how a team works. That's okay. But Patrick Mahomes was excellent, and I can't pick against him very often. Not against a quarterback from the NFC who's never been on that stage. Now, I thought Cincy was going to beat Kansas City in the AFC title game. Joe Burrow, I believe, can go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes. He has done it. He is 3-1 and one now in his career against Burrow, so or against Mahomes. So I believe that there are quarterbacks out there that can beat Patrick Mahomes. I did not think that Jalen Hurts was one of them. And Jalen Hurts was out was excellent yesterday. He was way he was awesome. I just can't bring myself to pick against Mahomes. 802-585-3026. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Travis says you're also not into mock drafts. Bottom line, if it's a list, I don't have much interest in it. And again, that's too bad for me. Because sports radio like lives in rankings and lists. I, I just it's not for me. Right? You're all allowed to have your opinion on what you think the best Super Bowl is, on who you think the best Hall of Famer is, on what you thought the best game of the year was, on what you think the best matchup is. You are allowed to say that you think this team is best, but I think they're second. You're allowed to have your opinion. I don't I don't like debating lists because they're so subjective. They are fun. To talk about in Sports Talk Radio, I just don't love lists. And as for mock drafts, I, I come clean on this. I am not spending a lot of time breaking down college football tape from the wide receiver at Alabama Birmingham, or from the wide, or from the left guard at uh, Florida State. I'm just not. I don't do mock drafts because I don't know all of the players. Right? I know the big players. I know some, probably some more players than the average college football fan does. But I am not spending my time watching Notre Dame's backup tight end. That's just not the. That's not how I'm spending my sports time. So, I tend to focus on draft season, on the positions of need, and then as we get closer to the draft, and I start hearing names, then I'll start to key in on who those guys are. Like I know right now, the Patriots have needs at left tackle, defensive back, wide receiver, one hundred percent running back. I'm not going to go out and give you nine running backs that were at the Shrine Bowl that they might be able to take. I don't know any of them yet. When we get closer to April 1st and I start thinking really, hey, the Patriots' biggest need is a left tackle, well, now I'll start reading up on who the left tackles are that might be available at 14. And then we'll go from there. But I'm not just going to come out here and pretend and BS you like I have all the answers. Okay, I got all the answers on the Patriots at the NFL level. I got all the answers on the Red Sox. I got all the answers on UVM men's hoops. Everything else, I got some answers to. I got a lot of answers on the Celtics. Everything else is kind of a, you know, we feel as we go thing here. I'm not here to BS you. So it's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. My question to you is, what will you remember this Super Bowl for? Because the referees and the holding call in three years, I will I will have zero recollection of. This Super Bowl, to me, will be remembered by Mahomes and Hurts having an epic quarterback battle. I will always remember that. The Kelsey brothers playing against each other and becoming the first brothers to play against each other. Andy Reid beating his former team. That is how this Super Bowl will be remembered to me.
I will not remember this Super Bowl in terms of a bad call or in terms of a call. It's not, not going to register with me. One call over three and a half hours is not going to define this game for me. In three years, I won't even remember that that call happened. I'll remember the Kelseys. I'll remember Andy Reid. I'll remember Mahomes versus Hurts. That's what I remember. That's what I will remember. I know that. How will you remember it? Some of you might remember this game for that call. I'm not going to be one of them. Because one, I think the call was right. And two, doesn't decide the game. One call does not decide. Look, I say this analogy a lot when we do this. Think about baseball, right? Let's just say, let's say the Red Sox lose a playoff game one nothing, And they have the bases loaded and nobody out in the ninth inning. And they strike out twice. And then it's a 3-2 count on the third batter. And the pitch is two inches off the outside corner, but the umpire rings them up, calls strike three. You all come in here and say, the ref blew the game. That should have been a walk. We should have been tied 1-1. And I say, you had the bases loaded and nobody out. And you struck out twice. You had a chance. And you blew it. You put the game in the, in the umpire's hands. And then I point out to you also that you had the bases loaded in the second, fourth, and seventh innings and also didn't score. And that's your reliever walked the ballpark. One call doesn't decide a game. It can impact a game. does not decide it. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We'll unpack the Super Bowl, everything else. We'll do it next on DEV. Think you know sports better than Brady does? Text in with your thoughts at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I didn't realize we went that whole first segment. No commercial. 30 minutes straight. I didn't take any of the commercials that I was supposed to take, so I'll have to make those up over the next 40 minutes or so. High school basketball comes your way at 645. Thetford and Hazen on the boys' side. Brent Curtis on the call. They're at halftime of the JV game right now, so that one is scheduled so far for a normal start time. Tip-off is 7 o'clock. Chiefs win the Super Bowl. Second win for Mahomes. 38-35 was the final, and for the final time in the 2022 season, we will unpack an NFL game, unpacking the Super Bowl. Cue the music, people. All right, number one, Patrick Mahomes, he's in the VIP section of the club. He is officially there. Patrick Mahomes now is a Hall of Famer. And it's crazy to think about that because Mahomes has 15 years left to play if he wants to. But he is a Hall of Famer today. He's in the inner circle. Two MVPs, two Super Bowl titles before the age of 27. He is that guy. We used to sit here and say, ah, you left Tom Brady too much time on the clock, or ah, Tom Brady will find a way. That guy now, that's Patrick Mahomes. There is no such thing as out of it when you have Patrick Mahomes on your team. We haven't seen a quarterback like this. 
We have seen quarterbacks that can throw. We have seen quarterbacks that can run. But to see a guy who can do them both at an incredibly high level, Mahomes is not a running quarterback by trade, but he's got the ingenuity and the smarts to figure out when to deploy that part of his game as well. We just don't see people like that. This is generational stuff that we're watching when we watch Patrick Mahomes. And now, like with Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes is now the guy that other quarterbacks are measured against. Every team will be asking, how can we get the next Mahomes? Every team will be saying, how can we stop that guy? How can we beat that guy? He is that guy. People likely already thought the things that I'm just outlining, but now it is confirmed. Patrick Mahomes has answered all the questions, right? He has proven he can win without Tyreek Hill. He won without Mecole Hardman as well. He won without his starting running back in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He's won without a great defense. He's won without a great offensive line. He's won well injured. He's beaten his nemesis now in Joe Burrow. He is the gold standard at the position in the league. And as long as he is good and healthy, which will be a long time, the Chiefs will continue to be in the conversation every single year like the Patriots were. And... Patrick Mahomes is already in the conversation now for the most talented quarterback in league history. I'm not going to do the GOAT with you. Tom Brady is the GOAT, and he will be the GOAT for a long time. But most talented quarterback in the NFL in history of the league? Patrick Mahomes is in that conversation too. He is in the VIP section of the club. Aaron Rodgers, Dan Marino, John Elway, Patrick Mahomes. Those guys are in a circle all their own. And Mahomes is there. The Napa Morrisville Napa Waterbury text line is open 802 585 3026. Peter in Williston says Mahomes is way better than any other quarterback in the league for the next decade plus. Agreed 100%. I think Joe Burrow is excellent. And I think there are a lot of quarterbacks that are very, I think Justin Herbert is excellent. I think there are quarterbacks that can beat Mahomes in any given season and in any given game. I think quarterbacking will be as good as we've ever seen it be. I think it will continue to get better. But when you start looking at every year who's the preseason favorite, that guy's name and that guy's team are going to continue to be at the top of the list. Right? Burrow can beat him. Heck, maybe Jalen Hurts can beat him. There will be people that can and will, I'm sure. But Mahomes is that guy, and his team will be a favorite or the favorite every year. Number two here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV as we unpack the Super Bowl. Jalen Hurts was absolutely excellent. Now, he, with the exception of his fumble, the fumble was a huge play. It was a critical mistake, so he was not perfect. But Jalen Hurts was awesome. He carried the Philadelphia Eagles. Look, Mahomes got help. I told you that last hour. Mahomes got help from his defense. Mahomes got help from special teams with the Tony punt return. Jalen Hurts didn't get a lot of help. He was doing this not necessarily by himself, but he was a driving factor in everything that happened for Philly. He threw for 300 yards. He ran for 70. He ran for three scores. He's the first player in Super Bowl history to have that line. 300 yards passing, three rushing touchdowns, 70 rush yards or more. First player NFL history to do that. He was incredible. He was everything you would want your franchise quarterback to be with the exception of the fumble that was returned for a touchdown. 
He he showed the importance of quarterback mobility. He showed great touch on some of his balls down the field. The pass to A.J. Brown, the pass to Devontae Smith, the pass to Gobbert, uh, Dallas Goddard on the sideline. They were all beautiful. He showed great humility after the game. He showed great leadership. He showed great poise. After that fumble, return for a touchdown, he didn't wilt. He came back and scored on the very next drive. He was the full package, and he is very clearly the leader of the Eagles. He's very clearly a force to be reckoned with in the NFC. He's a dual-threat guy. He brings a lot to the table on and off the field. He's going to get paid a ton of money in not that short of order. And even, look, there may be no more cynical people than a Philadelphia sports radio host, right? Philly is a bad place when it comes to sports radio. And Anthony Gargano, even he, he's on the air in Philly, even he is talking good about about Hurts. You know, on the day you've lost the Super Bowl, if they're talking good about you in Philly, you must be special. Jalen balled out, and I, I think he answered all the questions as to whether or not he belonged there. I mean, he threw for 300. He ran for three touchdowns. I mean, a quarterback can't do any more than Jalen Hurts. So, you know, right off the bat, you saw what he did, and he, he solidified himself. He solidified himself in the league. He solidified himself with the franchise and the organization. Jalen Hurts was great. The fumble was the only blip on his radar. The problem is, is that was a pretty big blip. Hurts was great. Unpacking the Super Bowl number three. I told you that Jalen Hurts and that the Eagles needed this win. I told you I take that back. I said Mahomes needed the win more individually in the quarterback battle. But I told you the Eagles needed this win more as a team. They absolutely did. The Eagles missed a golden opportunity. It is going to be hard, really hard, for the Eagles to get back here next year. It just is. Okay? Hurts is great. He's going to continue to get better. They've still got the rookie quarterback contract situation next year. But the Eagles will have a very difficult time getting back to this spot. I don't think it's going to be incredibly difficult for the Chiefs to get back because they have Mahomes. But look at what the Eagles will go through attrition-wise on this roster. James Bradbury is a free agent. Fletcher Cox is a free agent. TJ Edwards is a free agent. Marcus Epps is a free agent. CJ Gardner-Johnson is a free agent. Javon Hargrave is a free agent. Linval Joseph's a free agent. Those are all starters on defense. Kaiser White is too. Uh, Miles Sanders. I mean, we're talking about I don't know. 15 free agents for the Eagles here, a bunch of which are starters in play. Robert Quinn, Boston Scott, Indomitian Sue. This is going to, you're not going to have this team again. This is not a just rinse and repeat situation for 2023. The Eagles needed this win because you have no guarantee what happens next year. I believe that Hurts will be great, but a bunch of that defense will be gone. That running back depth will be, you know, gone or depleted. The health, I mean, you have all 22 starters healthy going into the Super Bowl. You'll never have that again. That You can't bank on that. This was everything that could go right for the Eagles went right, and a lot of it's going to be stripped away next year. So the Eagles missed a golden opportunity. Number four, unpacking the Super Bowl. The NFL in the offseason needs to get rid of the ability for an offensive team to line up as if they're kneeling 
and then push the quarterback forward on a quarterback sneak. You saw the Eagles do this four or five times yesterday, right? Eagles went for it on fourth and one. They'd line up like they were kneeling. Hertz would, Hertz would quarterback sneak, and everybody would push him, push from behind, right? You'd have two guys behind him pushing. They did it in the red zone. They did it on fourth down. They did it on third down. The league needs to find a way to get rid of this for next year. I'll be honest. It wasn't something that I really noticed and thought about in-game, but after the game, I realized there's something not right in that. The offense already has the advantage everywhere you turn in the NFL. Now I want to give them the advantage on fourth and goal and on fourth and short, too. I don't want to do that, okay? The defense has to have some ability here, okay? The offense already has the advantage on most plays. They know where the play is going. They're they're, they're forward. They're dealing with momentum. The defense is automatically on its toes. Now you put on third down, fourth down and short, fourth and goal, whatever – you put the offensive lineman there, they get a momentum start, and then the quarterback gets a momentum start, and then two people are pushing on the quarterback from behind. Nah, I'm not about that. That's too big a too big a deal for the offense. And as offensive teams start going for it more and more and more, the offense will have the advantage more and more and more. I'm not for that. Again, I didn't think about this much during the game. I started to think about it after, and it's also a player safety thing. Listen to former defensive back and all-pro Richard Sherman. The game is too skewed right now, and they need to balance it out more. And now you got the QB sneak play that they're never going to address. There's no stopping that. Every team's going to install that now. Every team's going to have a mobile quarterback, fourth and one. We're going for it. We're going we're gonna to push, 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 push. You've never played defense tackle, nose tackle in this league. That's a lot of weight on a couple human beings. You talk about, like, dangerous play, protecting players. You're not protecting those guys down there. You're not protecting those nose tackles, those D tackles, those linebackers. You're not protecting those. They got thousands of pounds of weight on their back, on their neck, trying to push forward. And you're just like, well, great play by the offense. They got a yard. If you're going to say player safety, you're going to say protect guys. You're going to say, hey, we're going to do everything. Plays like that, you got to say, hey, that's not legal. We're taking it out. I, I would take that out as well. That gives the offense too much of an advantage, and there is the player safety risk. I do believe you should be allowed to push a ball carrier, but I don't believe you should be allowed to do it from the guy taking the snap. Does that make sense? Like, let's let's envision this scenario. Running back gets a sweep, runs to the sideline. He's gained four yards. He's kind of getting stood up by the defensive, or by the you know by the tackler. Then the offensive lineman, the tight end, comes in and gives him a shove, tries to give him another yard or two. That I'm for. I'm not for guy taking the snap, gets the ball, and now everybody barrels behind him and pushes him through the line. That's too much of an advantage. The offense already has too much of an advantage. I don't I don't need to see fourth and one be gone for on every situation and then be a guarantee on every situation. That's not for me. So I'm with Richard Sherman. I'm with a lot of NFL people that don't like that. I didn't think about it much in real time. I'm not a huge fan of it here 18 hours later. Unpacking the Super Bowl, final thought. I don't give a rip about the halftime show or the commercial. Like, I I am a Scrooge when it comes to this, and so be it. It's a flaw of mine. I am an elitist when it comes to the Super Bowl. Like, let's just call a spade a spade. I'm admitting a flaw in this. I could not care less about halftime show reviews 
or commercial reviews. I don't even remember most of the commercials. I was barely paying attention to most of them. I tuned them out like I do most television commercials. I don't care, right? I'm an elitist when it comes to this. I'm not trying to tell you how to fan. If you like the halftime show, if you like the, the commercials and you want to talk about it all the next day, that's fine for you. It's not for me. I put, I put six months into trying to learn everything I could about this NFL season. I put another three or four in understanding the offseason. I'm invested 12 months of the year in this thing. I care about the game and the game only. Everything else to me is secondary. If you want to care for the other stuff, that's cool. When I go to a concert, I'm there for the music. I'm not there for the food. When I go to a movie, I'm there for the movie. I'm not there to review the popcorn. The thing that drew us to the game yesterday was the game. That is what I cared about. That is what I watched. That is what I studied. I did not care at all about the commercials. Right? Ben Affleck with uh, Ben Affleck with Jennifer Lopez. I noticed that one early in the game. That was kind of funny. I couldn't tell you almost any other ones. The 2B commercial where it looked like the game, you know, got taken off your screen. It was okay. Not I'm not here for that. Okay, I'm here for the game. And again, I, I am being an elitist about it. I'm telling you, it's a flaw of mine. I'm not into talking about that stuff. The Super Bowl, the halftime show, by the way, was horrible. And I give a lot of respect to Rihanna for performing while pregnant. It was horrible because she couldn't do anything, right? She couldn't dance. All she could do was stand and sway. So I get it. She gets an A for effort. It was not a good show. She played too many songs, too many parts of songs. I'm not into medleys. She, Rihanna has a great song catalog. If she had just played five songs straight through, I probably would have been thrilled. But she didn't, and she couldn't dance, and therefore it wasn't that entertaining to me. But I will forget that Rihanna performed at the Super Bowl until next year probably in about a week. So not here for that. Tex says, in total agreement, I'm here for the game only. Uh... TJ says, Brady, love your show as always, but the NFL had a rule called aiding the runner. They got rid of it at all levels. You're not wrong in your take, but honestly, why complicate the rules more? Uh, some teams have an advantage like Jalen Hurts that not everyone does. There should be a happy medium, either all in or cut it all together. Yeah, see, I, I get his point, but I do think you should be allowed to aid your teammate in open space, right? If it's third and five and I run a wide receiver screen and my running back or my receiver gets the ball and now he's cutting back to the middle of the field and he's trying to get to a first down and he's being wrapped up and he's a half yard short and then all of a sudden my tight end comes in and pushes him, that to me, that's good hustle. That's good hustle that should be rewarded. What I don't want is a built-in advantage off the snap. The play I'm talking about where you're aiding the guy happens, what, once a game, if that? This happened like five times yesterday, and the Eagles did have a distinct advantage. The offense would have a distinct advantage all the time in that scenario. Some teams probably won't do it because they don't want to risk their quarterback getting injured, but still, I just I don't want to see teams going for it on every fourth down. I do like to see some stops. I don't love 45-42 football. Yesterday was exciting. It was the Super Bowl. That was great. That was fun. 
but every game being like yesterday, I don't love that. I got the Big 12 if I want to watch college football for that. I can go watch Texas Tech play TCU or Baylor and see a 70-66 to 66 game. I'm not interested in that in the NFL. I don't want 9-6, but I like a good old-fashioned 27-24 game where there is scoring, but there's also some defense. And you're taking the ability to play defense out when you're giving the offense just another, another advantage. Tech says, I'm there to watch the game and the tip-top athletes. There you go. Now, so I guess I'm not the only one being a curmudgeon on this stuff. Uh, One more texter says, Joe, the Eagles are also going to lose their offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator as well, making it even harder for them to get back. That's true. Absolutely true. Eagles are going to have a hard time getting back. Now, they're going to benefit from the fact that the NFC still doesn't look very good right now. Obviously, the draft, the quarterback carousel, things are going to happen. But right now, the NFC looks a lot easier than the AFC. So the Eagles will have that, but they play in a, in a good division where, where Dallas and the Giants will at least be regular season formidable. They won't be this healthy. They have all those free agents. They're going to lose some coaches. All of the above. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. The offseason will feature major questions ahead. Pause the music. We'll get back to the music. We'll tell you what some of the big off-season storylines to watch are. We'll talk about it next on the Ready Farkas Show on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Bring the music back up, people. I'm not done talking football yet. As we hit the NFL offseason, here's a couple things you should know. There are 15 days until the NFL Combine, so you'll start to hear some stuff about draft prospects then. There are 30 days, exactly one month, until the beginning of NFL free agency. You should also know that the salary cap is going up $16 million from this season. So every team basically has a free $16 million that they did not have this year to go out and spend as well. So one month until NFL free agency, Patriots need offensive linemen. Patriots need a running back. Patriots need another wide receiver. Patriots need defensive back help. Patriots could use another pass rusher. So the pass could use a lot of stuff. They'll have $16 million more to play with to get it. And they do, I think, plan to spend aggressively. There are 73 days until the NFL draft. Those are the dates you need to know. 15 days till the combine, 30 days till free agency, 73 until the NFL draft. So two and a half months until the draft. So off-season storylines. You won't have to be football deprived for long because there are going to be a lot of them. Number one on the list of off-season storylines, Aaron Rodgers. What is he going to do with Tom Brady's retirement Aaron Rodgers is the biggest name on the board in the NFL. In terms of potential player play up, uh, in terms of potential player movement, Aaron Rodgers is it. What he wants to do and where he wants to go, that goes a long way in dictating what happens with the rest of the league and what happens with the rest of the quarterbacks. Like follow the dominoes here. If Aaron Rodgers wants to play and stays in Green Bay, does Jordan Love become on the move? Is he part of the quarterback carousel? 
If Aaron Rodgers wants to leave, does Jordan Love get the job in Green Bay? Or do they decide that they need another veteran with experience because they want to maximize what they think is a Super Bowl window? If Aaron Rodgers leaves, where is he going? Is it the Jets? Is it the Raiders? Is it Tennessee? Is it a team in the NFC South? His decision impacts a lot of things around the NFL. And really, the biggest story in the league, so the biggest story in the offseason is Aaron Rodgers. The second biggest story is the rest of the quarterback carousel after Aaron Rodgers. I mean, half of the NFL, half of the NFL could change starting quarterbacks next season. There's going to be a lot of potential for quarterback mobility, and there's going to be a lot of guys available. Like, run down the list here. Okay, these are teams that could change quarterbacks. New York Giants could change quarterbacks. Washington Commanders could have a new quarterback. Tampa Bay Buccaneers will have a new quarterback. Atlanta could. New Orleans could. Carolina could. Seattle could. San Francisco could. Green Bay could. The Jets could. Baltimore could. Tennessee could. Houston could. Vegas could. The Colts could. That's like 15 teams there that could have new starting quarterbacks. And there's going to be a lot of quarterbacks available one way or the other, by trade, by free agency, by franchise tag trade. Okay, Geno Smith could be available. Daniel Jones could be available. Jordan Love, Aaron Rodgers, Carson Wentz, Jimmy Garoppolo, Andy Dalton, Brock Purdy, or Trey Lance. If the Niners decide to go with Purdy, do they need Lance? If they decide to go with Lance, do they need Purdy? Zach Wilson, could he be had? Tannehill, Derek Carr, we know is moving. Matt Ryan, Lamar Jackson. All of these players could be some form of available. The quarterback market is the biggest story in the NFL after Aaron Rodgers, who will go a long way towards setting the quarterback market. And we're already getting some news on this stuff, right? Derek Carr has said he's not going to accept a trade to the New Orleans Saints. That makes perfect sense. Derek Carr would like to just be cut. One, it gives him total full reign over where he's going to go and two why would he want to get traded to a place just so that team can give away something to the Raiders which he can't use right like if he got traded to the Saints and the Saints trade a third round draft pick to Vegas well now Derek Carr's new team has lost a third round pick that can help him he doesn't want that so Carr still could end up on the Saints he's just not going to be there via trade so the quarterback market, again, has the potential to be crazy here. Elsewhere, what do the Bears do with the number one pick? We talk about being 73 days until the draft. The Chicago Bears are on the clock. They have the number one pick. Teams will absolutely want a new quarterback, right? They'll want Bryce Young of Alabama. They'll want C.J. Stroud of Ohio State. What do the Bears do? Do the Bears draft one of them? Start the quarterback rookie contract clock again and trade Justin Fields. That could happen. I don't think it will, nor do I think it should, but it could. The Bears could draft Younger Stroud and trade Justin Fields to one of those many quarterback needy teams. Do they do it? Do they draft Stroud or Young and trade those, trade one of them? Do they just simply trade down and, and acquire the picks? You know, trade the first pick for picks for it, you know, whatever. Do they just take a player at one and say, 
okay, we're not going to deal with the quarterback market. Do they want uh, Anderson from Alabama? Do they want Jalen Carter from Georgia to be a pass rusher? What do they do? What the Bears do at one will be fascinating. They hold the keys to the kingdom here. They have the number one pick, and they don't need a quarterback. Do they take one? Do they stick with Fields? Do they draft him some help? Or do they trade the pick and try to get multiple pieces to help as well? Four, from a Patriots standpoint, from a league standpoint, what happens to Jacoby Myers? This is not a rich wide receiver draft. Or not a rich wide receiver free agency crop, excuse me. What happens to Jacoby Myers? I think the Patriots need him. Other teams need him too. Other teams need possession wide receivers that move the chains, stay pretty healthy, are good in the locker room. Jacoby Myers, I saw projected to make $64 million the other day by Pro Football Focus. Somebody is going to pay it. Will the Patriots pay it? It's a good wide receiver draft, but do you elect to try to get your wide out in free agency? Patriots are going to have competition there. In with free agency, what about the other teams that were close this year that are hovering around playoff caliber? Jacksonville, who was in and won a game but now might be ready to make the next step. What can they do? How about Detroit, the team that we all loved by the end of the year? Cleveland, who with Deshaun Watson should be should be asserting themselves into the upper echelon of the AFC. What do all these teams do? These teams that were close but no cigar in 2023 or 2022. Texter says Bears trade down, in my opinion. I would agree with you. But until they do it, it's going to be a point of offseason speculation, and they won't do it until right before the draft, I'm sure. So we're going to be speculating on that one for about 70 days. Number six on the offseason. How does Tom Brady live next year? Just in general. He's not going to play. He's not starting his broadcasting career until 2024. How much do we hear from Tom Brady? What do we know about Tom Brady's life? Because I read a story in the Atlantic the other day that said, basically, Tom Brady is a lonely master. He played football in part because he loved the game, but he also loved the structure. He loved the dedication. He loved everything football provided. Now when he takes that away, it might be hard for him. It's going to be hard for him. His family supposedly is worried about what he'll do without the structure of football. Like his parents are worried about how he'll be. How will he be? You know, I hope he's all right. We hear all the time about how it's hard for people who do certain jobs, sports, military, whatever, to reassimilate into society. I hope Tom Brady is not one of those people. But it's going to be a story that I'm sure we're monitoring. And then finally, of course, as always, in the offseason, the storyline will be the officiating and will be the competition committee. Watch out for rule changes. Watch out for verbiage changes. What a catch is. Different kinds of tackling being outlawed. I've already seen the idea of the hip drop tackle being taken out of the game. So there will be rule changes coming, and we'll be monitoring those as well. I'm sure something new will happen with overtime, and something new will happen here or there. The rule changes and language changes always part of the NFL offseason. Texter says, Brady, you should ask listeners to uh, wish a happy Valentine's to whoever they want. I don't think that would go over well on this show. One, we're on until 645 tomorrow night. If you're wishing your Valentine a valent- happy Valentine's Day at between 530 and 645, you're probably already screwed. 
right? You're probably already screwed. That's just the way it is. So I don't think that... Uh, I think if you're waiting for my show to, to give a shout-out for Valentine's Day, you're kind of already doomed. So it is the Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Uh, that's it for the music. That's it for the music for the 2022 season. No more unpacking the Patriots. No more unpacking NFL games. It's going to be weird without football. Now, some of you are going to watch things like the USFL and the XFL are starting again. Some of you are going to watch that. I will not. I find it weird to not have football. I certainly will miss it, but I can live without football. Baseball is my favorite sport, so I am excited. Pitchers and catchers who are uh, playing in the uh, WBC, they're at spring training today. The Red Sox' first pitchers and catchers workout is Wednesday. The first full pitchers and catchers workout is Wednesday. I am excited for that. I am looking forward to March Madness. I am looking forward to you know, the end of the NBA regular season, the end of the NHL regular season. I can live without football. I love having football. I love that it gives us structure and fun for 20 weeks and a bunch of content. It is great for that, but I can do without it. I don't need to watch the USFL. I don't need to watch the XFL. I'm not that interested. I want good football, not more football. What we watched yesterday was good football. I'd watch more of that all year round if we had it. We don't. So I'll be focused on those dates that I told you about. 30 days till free agency, 73 until the NFL draft. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm excited about. But it, I do like knowing that every Sunday I'm going to plop in front of my TV and watch football all day. And now we're not going to have that for another seven months, right? It's not going to be until about seven months from today that we have that opportunity. And it does feel weird for sure. Uh, high school basketball is coming up next. Brent Curtis is courtside for Thetford and Hazen on the boys' side. So uh, coming up tomorrow, we'll have U32 boys at Spalding. And then Wednesday, we will have uh, U32 girls at Harwood and Williamstown at Harwood boys. So doubleheader for Harwood senior night. So we're off the air early, actually, every day this week for high school basketball. Every day this week, we are out early. Uh, Tech says, maybe you can get some chores done without football being on. That's true. I absolutely will be able to get some chores done, so we will do just that. I got a lot of things to do, a lot of things going on in my life, just like all of you do. That is going to do it for us. I encourage you to go download the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. Again, we did this as a guestless Monday today. It's kind of our Super Bowl tradition, so uh, we like to just you and me all here together talking a little ball. So Chiefs get the title. We're on to the offseason. There's been a lot of Patriots speculation and information to come, but now it's basketball, hockey, UVM hoops, and Red Sox baseball. That's where we're going next here. And that's where we're probably going to start it up again tomorrow. High School Hoops is coming up next. WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Brent Curtis, courtside and waiting on the call. Again, it is Thetford and Hazen on the boys' side. A pretty good matchup here.